Chapter 13 It's after 12 and I'm eating lunch and gazing at the garden when Oshima comes out and sits next to me. Today I pretty much have the library to myself. As always, my lunch is the cheapest box lunch from the little shop at the train station. We talk for a while and Oshima urges half his sandwiches on me. I made extra today just for you, he insists. Don't take it the wrong way, but you look as if you're not eating. I'm trying to make my stomach shrink, I explain. On purpose, he asks. I nod. You're doing that to save money? Again, I nod. I can understand that, but at your age, you need to fill up whenever you get the chance. You need your nutrition. The sandwich he's offering me looks delicious. I thank him and start eating. Smoked salmon, watercress and lettuce on soft white bread. The crust is nicely crunchy and horseradish and butter complete the sandwich. Did you make this yourself? I ask. <coughs> no one's going to make it for me, he says. He pours black coffee from his thermos into a mug while I drink milk from a small carton. What are you reading these days? Natsume Soseki's complete works, I say. I still haven't read some of his novels, so this is a great chance to read them all. You like him enough to want to read everything he wrote? Oshima asks. I nod. Steam's rising from the cup in his hand. It's dark and cloudy outside, but at least the rain stopped. Which of his novels have you read since you came here? I finished The Miner and now I am on Poppies. The Miner, eh? Oshima says, apparently searching out a vague memory of the book. That's the story of a college student from Tokyo who ends up working in a mine, isn't it? And he goes through all these tough times with the other miners before returning to the world outside. A sort of medium-length novel, as I recall. I read it a long time ago. The plot isn't what you normally expect from Soseki. And the style's kind of unpolished too. Not one of his best. What do you like about it? I try putting into words my impressions of the novel, but I need Crow's help. Need him to appear from wherever he is, spread his wings wide and search out the right words for me. The main character is from a rich family, I say. But he has an affair that goes sour and he gets depressed and runs away from home. While he's wandering around, his shady character comes up to him and asks him to work in a mine. And he just tags along after him and finds himself working in the Ashio mine. He's way down underground going through all kinds of experiences he never could have imagined. This innocent rich boy finds himself crawling around in the dregs of society. I sip my milk and try to piece together the rest of what I want to say. It takes a while before Crow comes back, but Oshima waits patiently. Those are life and death type experiences he goes through in the mines. Eventually he gets out and goes back to his old life. But nothing in the, in the novel shows he learned anything from these experiences. That his life changed, that he thought deeply now about the meaning of life or started questioning society or anything else. You don't get any sense either that he's matured. You have a strange feeling after you finish the book. It's as if you wonder, what was Soseki trying to say? It's as if not really knowing what he is getting at is the part that stays with you. I can't explain it very well. So the miners structured very differently from, say, Soseki's Sanshiro, your typical modern building, 
Bill Dungsman. I nod. I don't know about that, but you might be right. Sanshiro grows up in the story, runs into obstacles, ponders things, overcomes difficulties, right? But the hero of the miner is different. All he does is watch things happen and accept it all. I mean, every now and again, he gives his own opinions, but nothing very deep. Instead, he just broods over his love affair. He comes out of the mine pretty much the same as he went in. He has no sense that it was something he decided to do himself or that he had a choice. He's totally passive, but I think in real life people are like that. It's not so easy to make choices on your own. Do you see yourself as like the hero of the miner? I shake my head. No, I never thought of it that way. But people need to cling to something, Oshima says. They have to. You're doing the same, even though you don't realize it. It's as Geet said, everything's a metaphor. I mull this over for a while. Oshima takes a sip of coffee. At any rate, that's an interesting take on the miner. Particularly since you are both runaways, makes me want to read it again. I finish the sandwich, crush the now empty milk carton and toss it into the rubbish bin. Oshima, I say, deciding to come right out with it. I'm in a bit of a fix and you are the only one I can ask for advice. He opens both hands wide with a go right ahead gesture. It's a long story, but I don't have anywhere to stay tonight. I have got a sleeping bag, so I don't need a futon or bed or anything. Just a roof over my head. Do you know of any place around here like that? I'm guessing that you're not thinking of a hotel or inn. I shake my head. Money's a factor, but I'm also hoping not to be too conspicuous. To the juvenile department of the police, I bet. Yeah. Oshima thinks it over for a time and says, Well, you could stay here in the library. Sure, it has a roof and a vacant room too that nobody uses at night. But do you think it's alright? Of course, we'll have to make some arrangements first. But it is possible, or not impossible I should say. I'm sure I can manage it. How so? You like to read good books to work things out on your own. You look like you're in good shape physically. And you're an independent kind of guy. You like to lead a well-regulated life and have a lot of willpower. I mean, even the willpower to make your stomach smaller, right? I'll talk with Miss Saiki about you becoming my assistant and staying in the empty room here at the library. You want me to be your assistant? You won't have to do much, Oshima says. Basically, help me open and close the place. We hire professionals to do the heavy cleaning or to input things on the computer. Apart from that, there's not a whole lot to do. You can just read whatever you like. Sounds good? Yeah, of course it does. I'm not sure what to say. But I don't think Miss Psyche is going to go for it. I'm only 15 and a runaway, which she doesn't know anything about. But Miss Psyche is, how should I put it, Toshima begins. Then uncharacteristically comes to a halt, searching for the right word. A little different. Different? She has a different take on things from other people. I nod. A different take on things. What does that mean? You mean she's an unusual person? Oshima shakes his head. No, I wouldn't say that. If you're talking about unusual, that would be me. She just isn't bound by conventional ways of doing things. I'm still trying to figure out the difference between different and unusual, 
but decide to hold off asking any more questions for the time being. After a pause, Oshima says, staying here tonight though is, is a problem. So I'll take you someplace else where you can stay for a couple of days till we get things settled. You don't mind, do you? It's a little far away. No problem, I tell him. The library closes at 5, Oshima says, and I have to straighten things up, so we'll leave around 5.30. I'll drive you there in my car. Nobody's staying there now. And not to worry, the place has a roof. I appreciate it. You can thank me after we get there. It might not be what you are imagining. I go back to the reading room and pick up where I left off in poppies. I'm not a fast reader to begin with. I like to linger over each sentence, enjoying the style. If I don't enjoy the writing, I stop. Just before five, I finish the novel, put it back on the shelf, then sit back on the sofa, close my eyes and think about what happened last night. About Sakura, about her room, what she did to me, all the twists and turns as events took their course. At 5.30, I am standing outside the library waiting for Oshima. He leads me to the car park behind the library and we get into his green sports car, a Mazda Miata with the top down. My backpack's too big for the little boot, so we tie it down tight on the rear rack. It's a long drive, so we'll stop along the way for dinner, Oshima says. He turns the ignition key and starts up the engine. Where are we headed? Kochi, he replies. Ever been there? I shake my head. How far is it? It'll take us about two and a half hours to get where we are going, towards the south over the mountains. You don't mind going so far? It's okay, it's a straight run and it's still light out and I've got a full tank. We drive through the twilight city streets, then join the highway heading west. Oshima changes lanes smoothly, slipping in between other cars, effortlessly shifting gears. Each time the hum of the engine changes slightly. When he lifts gears and floors it, the little car soon zipping along at, along at more than 90. The car's specially tuned, so it's got a lot of pickup. This isn't your ordinary Miata. Do you know much about cars? I shake my head. Cars are definitely not my speciality. Do you enjoy driving? I ask. The doctor made me give up all risky sports, so instead I drive. Compensation. Is something wrong with you? The medical's name pretty long, but it's a type of hemophilia. Oshima says casually. Do you know what that is? I think so, I say. I learned about it in biology class. Uh, once I start bleeding, once you start bleeding, you can't stop. It's genetic where the blood doesn't coagulate. That's right. That's all kinds of hemophilia. And the type I have is pretty rare. It's not such a bad type of disease, but I have to be careful not to get injured. Once I start bleeding, I have to go to the hospital. Besides, these days there are problems with the blood supply in hospitals. Dying a slow death from AIDS isn't an option for me. So I made some connections in town to supply me with safe blood, just in case. Because of my disease, I don't go on long journeys, except for regular checkups at the university hospital in Hiroshima. I rarely leave town. It's not so bad though. I never did like traveling or sports all that much anyway. I can't use a kitchen knife, so doing any real cooking's out, which is a shame. Driving's a risky enough sport, I tell him. It's a different kind of risk. Whenever I drive, I try to go as fast as I can. 
if i am in an accident driving fast i won't only end up getting a cut finger if you lose a lot of blood there's no difference between a hemophiliac and anyone else it evens things out since your chances of survival are the same you don't have to worry about things like blood coagulation or anything and can die without any regrets i see don't worry oshima laughs i am not going to have an accident i am a careful driver and don't push it i keep my car in tip top condition too besides when i die i want to die peacefully all by myself taking someone else with you then isn't an option either got it in one we pull into a rest stop restaurant for dinner i have chicken and a salad he orders the seafood curry and a salad just something to fill our stomachs is the best you could say about it oshima pays the bill and we climb into the car again it's already dark he steps on the accelerator and the speedometer shoots way up do you mind if i put on some music oshima asks of course not i reply he pushes the cd play button and some classical piano music starts i listen for a while trying to place the music i know it's not beethoven and not schumann probably somebody who came in between schubert i ask good guess he replies his hands at 10 to 2 on the steering wheel he glances over at me do you like schubert not especially i tell him when i drive i like to listen to schubert's piano sonatas with the volume turned up do you know why i have no idea because playing schubert's piano sonatas well is one of the hardest things in the world most of all this sonata in d major it's a tough piece to master some pianists can play one or maybe two of the movements perfectly but if you listen to all four movements as a unified whole no one has ever nailed it a lot of famous pianists have risen to the challenge but it's as if there's always something missing there's never one where you can say yes he's got it do you know why no i reply because the sonata itself is imperfect robert schumann understood schubert's sonata as well and he labeled this one heavenly tedious if the composition is imperfect why would so many pianists try to master it good question oshima says and pauses as music fills in the silence i have no great explanation for it but one thing i can say works that have a certain imperfection to them have an appeal for that very reason or at least they appeal to certain types of people just like you're attracted to soseki's the minor there's something in it in that draws you in more than more fully realized novels like kokoro or sanshiro you discover something about that work that tugs at your heart or maybe we should say that the work discovers you schubert sonata in d major is like that to get back to the question i say why do you listen to schubert sonatas particularly when you are driving If you play Schubert's sonatas especially this one straight through it's not art as Schumann pointed out it's too long and too pastoral and technically too simplistic played through the way it is and it's flat and tasteless some dusty antique which is why every pianist who attempts it adds something of his own something extra like this here how he articulates it there adding rubato adjusting the pace modulation whatever otherwise they can't hold it all together they have to be careful though 
or else all those extra devices destroy the dignity of the piece and then it's not Schubert's music anymore. Every single pianist who's played this D major sonata struggles with the same paradox. He listens to the music, humming the melody, then continues. That's why I like to listen to Schubert while I'm driving. As I said, it's because all the performances are imperfect. A dense, artistic imperfection stimulates your consciousness, keeps you alert. If I listen to some utterly perfect performance of, of an utterly perfect piece while I'm driving, I might want to close my eyes and die right then and there. But listening to D major, I can feel the limits of what humans are capable of, that a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. And personally, I find that encouraging. Do you say, do you see what I'm getting at? Sort of. I'm sorry, Yoshima says. I tend to get carried away on the subject. But there's all sorts and degrees of imperfection, right? I say, sure, of course. Comparatively speaking, which performance of the D major sonata do you think is the best? That's a tough one. Hoshima gives it some thought. He shifts down, swings into the outside lane, slips swiftly past a huge refrigerated 18-wheeler, shifts up and steers back into our lane. Not to frighten you, but a green Miata is one of the hardest vehicles to spot on the highway at night. It has such a low profile, plus the green tends to blend into the darkness. Lorry drivers especially can't see it from up in their cabs. It can be a risky business, particularly in tunnels. Sports cars rarely should all be red. Then they'd stand out. That's why most Ferraris are red. But I happen to like green, even if it makes things more dangerous. Green's the color of a forest, red's the color of blood. He glances at his watch and goes back to humming along with the music. Generally, I would have to say Brendel and uh, Ashkenazi give the best performances. Though they don't do anything for me emotionally, Schubert's is music that challenges and shatters the ways of the world. That's the essence of Romanticism and Schubert's music is the epitome of the Romantic. I keep on listening to the sonata. What do you think? Boring? He asks. Kind of, I admit. You can appreciate Schubert if you train yourself. I was the same way when I first listened to him. It bored me silly. It's only natural for someone your age. You'll appreciate it in time. People soon get tired of things that aren't boring, but not of what is boring. What's that all about? For me, I might have the leisure to be bored, but not to grow tired of something. Most people can't distinguish between the two. You said you are an unusual person. Do you mean because of the hemophilia? That's part of it, he says, and gives this devilish smile. There's more to it than that. Schubert's long, heavenly sonata finishes and we don't listen to any more music. We fall silent, each of us filling in the silence with our own random thoughts. I gaze vacantly at the passing signs. At a junction, we turn south and the road heads into the mountains. One long tunnel after the other. Oshima concentrates hard each time he passes another vehicle. We go by a number of slow-moving lorries on the road and every time there's this whooshing moan of air as though somebody's soul is being yanked out. 
From time to time, I looked back to make sure my backpack still tied down okay. The place we are headed is deep in the mountains, not the most pleasant dwelling in the world, Oshima says. I doubt you will see anybody else while you are there. There's no radio, TV or phone. Sure you don't mind? I don't, I reply. You are used to being alone, Oshima comments. I nod. But solitude, solitude comes in different varieties. What's waiting for you might be a little unexpected. In what way? Oshima pushes up the bridges of his glasses. I can't really say. It might change uh, depending on you. We get off the highway and start down a smaller road. Along a side road near the exit, there's a small town. Oshima stops at a small shop and buys almost more groceries than we can carry. Vegetables and fruits, biscuits, milk and mineral water, tinned goods, bread, packet instant food, mostly things that don't require much cooking. I reach for my wallet but he shakes his head and pays for it all. Back in the sports car, we, drown, we drive on down the road. I am holding the bags that wouldn't fit in the boot. Once we leave the little town, everything is dark around us. No houses and only the occasional car. The road's so narrow, it's hard for two cars to pass by each other. Oshima flips the lights to full beam and races ahead, braking, accelerating, shifting from second to third and back. His expression is fixed as he focuses on driving. Lips tight, eyes riveted on a point up ahead in the darkness, Right hand clutching the top of the wheel, left hand poised for action on the gear stick knob. A sharp bluff appears on our left side. It looks as though there's a mountain stream down below. The curves get sharper, the road more slippery and a couple of times the rear end of the car spins. But I decide not to worry about it. As far as Oshima is concerned, having an accident here most likely isn't an option. My watch shows a little before 9. I crack open my window and let the cold air rush in. Everything sounds different here. We are in the mountains, heading in deeper. I breathe a sigh of relief when the road finally cuts away from the bluffs and turns into a forest. Trees soar magically above us. Our headlights lick at the trunks, illuminating one after another. We have left the tarmac road behind, the tires squirting out pebbles that ricochet against the bottom of the car. The suspension dances up and down over the rough road. There's no moon, no stars. A fine rain occasionally splashes against the windscreen. Do you come here a lot? I ask. I used to. Now with the job and everything, I can't come so often. My oldest brother is a surfer and uh, lives on the shore in Kochi. He runs a surf shop there and makes surfboards. He comes here sometimes. Do you surf? Never tried it, I tell him. If you have the chance, you should have my brother teach you. He's very good, Oshima says. If you meet him, you will see he's not at all like me. He's big, tanned, kind of quiet, not so sociable and likes beer. And wouldn't know Schubert from Wagner, but we get on really well. We continue down the road through thick woods and finally turn off. Oshima stops the car and leaving the engine running, climbs out and unlocks a kind of wire fence and pushes it open. We drive inside and proceed down another 
windy bumpy road into a clearing where the road ends oshima stops the car sighs heavily and brushes his hair back with both hands then kills the engine and puts on the handbrake the cooling fan still hums cooling off the overheated engine as steam rises from the hood but with the engine off a heavy stillness falls over us i hear a small stream nearby the faint sound of water high above us the wind rustles symbolically i open the door and step outside patches of chill hang in the air i have on a i have on a yachting jacket and over my t-shirt which i zip to my neck there's a small building in front of us a log cabin by the look of it though it's too dark to see much only a dark outline floating against the background of the forest the headlights still on oshima slowly approaches the cabin torch in hand walks up the porch steps takes out a key and unlocks the door he goes inside strikes a match and lights a lamp he then steps out onto the porch holding the lamp and announces welcome to my house it all looks like a drawing in an old story book i walk up the steps and go inside oshima lights a larger lamp hanging from the ceiling the cabin consists of a single big boxy room there's a small bed in the corner a dining table and two wooden chairs a tired sofa a hopelessly faded rug bits of old furniture nobody wanted it looks like just thrown together there's a breeze block and board shelf crammed full of books their covers worn like they've been read a lot there's also an old chest for storing clothes and a simple kitchen with a work surface a small gas stove and sink but no running water instead an aluminum pail i guess is for water a pan and kettle on a shelf plus a frying pan hanging from the wall and in the middle of the room there's a black wood burning stove my brother built this cabin almost all by himself he took the original rough lumberjack hut and remodeled it he's good with his hands i was still quite little then and helped out a bit making sure i didn't get cut or anything it's quite primitive no electricity no running water no toilet the only modern convenience is the propane gas oshima pours some mineral water into the kettle and sets it to boil my grandfather originally owned this mountain he was a wealthy man in kochi with a lot of property he passed away 10 years ago and my brother and i inherited almost the entire mountain no other relatives wanted it it's too far off the beaten track and not worth much if you were going to keep it for harvesting trees you would have to hire people and it would cost too much i opened the curtain at the window all i can see though is a wall of total darkness when i was about your age oshima says dipping chamomile tea bags into a pot i used to come here a lot and live on my own not see anybody else not talk to anybody my brother almost forced me to usually with somebody who has a disease like mine you wouldn't do that too dangerous for them to be alone in some isolated spot but my brother didn't worry about that he leans back against the worktop waiting for the water to boil he wasn't trying to discipline me or anything it's just that he believed i needed 
this. Looking back on it, I can see it was a good experience, something I did need. I could read a lot, think things over. To tell you the truth, after a certain period, I rarely went to school. School and I had a mutual hate relationship. I was different from everybody else. Out of the kindness of their hearts, they let me graduate from junior high. But after that, I was on my own. Basically, just like you. Did I already tell you all this? I shake my head. Is that why you are being so nice to me? That's part of it, he says, then pauses. But that's not the whole reason. Oshima passes me a cup of tea and sips at his own. My nerves are tense after the long drive and the chamomile is just what I need to calm down. Oshima glances at his watch. I'd better be going, so let me explain everything. There's a nice stream nearby you can use for water. It's spring-fed, so you can drink it as it is. Much better than these bottles of mineral water. There's firewood stacked up at the back, so use the stove if you get cold. It gets pretty chilly here. I've even used it a few times in August. The stove you use, you can use for simple cooking. If you need any other tools or anything, check the tool shed out at the back. And feel free to wear any old clothes of my brothers you find in the chest of drawers. He doesn't care if anybody wears his things. Oshima rests his hands on his hips and gives the cabin a once-over. It's not a romantic getaway, that's for sure. For simple living though, it will do. One thing I've got to warn you about. Don't go very far into the woods. The forest is really dense and there's not a good path through it. Always keep the cabin in sight. It's easy to get lost if you go any further and it's difficult finding your way back. I had a terrible experience there once. I was only a couple of hundred yards from the cabin but spent half the day going in circles. You might think Japan's a small country, but there's no chance you could get lost in a forest. But once you get lost in these woods, believe me, you stay lost. I file that away for future reference. And except in an emergency, I wouldn't come down off the mountain. It's too far to any other houses. Wait here and I'll be back in a couple of days to pick you up. You have enough food to see you through. By the way, do you have a mobile phone? I do. I tell him paying, pointing at my backpack. He grins at me. Keep it in your pack. It won't work here. No network. And of course a radio won't work either. You are cut off from the world. You should be able to get a lot of reading done. I suddenly think of a very practical question. If there is no toilet, where should I go? Oshima spreads both hands wide. The forest is all yours. It's up to you. Music